If you have your Bibles with you, you can follow along. I'm reading uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as, th- as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Thanks, Dan. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Please keep your Bible open to Ephesians 1 for a few more minutes here. Uh, This is our third... And final week in this opening section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And if you've been following along with us, you've heard it said that Paul was so fired up about these things that he didn't even pause for punctuation. You can almost picture him probably dictating this to somebody and not taking a breath. He's so fired up. And and you can kind of begin to understand his enthusiasm when you track with the things that he's saying that Dan just read for us. It says, God, the Father of Jesus Christ, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says, we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be adopted as God's children, to be holy and blameless, been redeemed through Jesus' blood, forgiving our sins. And somehow, when it's all said and done, we who are united to Christ by faith will share in Christ's inheritance alongside him. So these are pretty life-changing, punctuation-defying realities for whoever is actually in Christ, in him, in Christ, as we see repeated over and over again throughout these verses. But that is kind of the issue in front of us today, is who is in Christ? Who are these things true of? Is there any way that you and I can be certain that these things are true of us? Are we simply just called to read them and believe them by faith and hope that they turn out to be true in the end? Lots of religious or cult leaders have told people lots of things claiming to be true that just didn't end up being true. 
Are we just supposed to hope that Paul and Jesus aren't that? That they aren't liars? That they're not just dragging us along toward an eternal disappointment? Is the Christian life a life of blind faith with all the good stuff, supposedly, waiting for us on the other side of the grave? Or is there anything to know and experience now? That's kind of the big question in front of us today. And Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, which we're going to zoom in on, can help us answer that big question. So let's read those two verses uh, again one more time, and then I'm going to ask for God's help briefly, and then I'll tell you where we're going to go from there. So look at verse 13 again. Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You just pray with me briefly one more time. Father, I just want to acknowledge these are your words, not mine. And I want to be faithful to them. And I believe that your words carry a power that can get things done in our lives. And so I want to ask you to do that in mine as I speak, in my friends as they listen. Take true things and rejoice our hearts. May the result of our time together be the result, the, the, the end of this passage, that we would praise your glorious grace all the more. So help us, help me. In Jesus' name, amen. So is the Christian life a life of blind faith until the grave, or is there something we can know and experience in advance? Well, as you might have guessed from our passage, the answer to this question has everything to do with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed, by the way, just the beautiful progression of the Trinity's work in salvation throughout this passage? We've got chosen and adopted by the Father, redeemed and forgiven by the Son, and now sealed and guaranteed by the Spirit. When we baptized people right here last week, four people, we baptized them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because all three persons are at work in welcoming people into the family. So all we get in these two verses is just a brief summary of the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, but I think what we're told is unspeakably glorious and crucial for us to understand, even though it's beyond our ability to fully understand. So there are two questions that I want to ask in order to help us understand the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation and hopefully move us toward answering the big question of the day that we already asked. So two questions. One, what does it mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? And two, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, or I will use the alternate translation, down payment, of our inheritance? So we'll take those questions in order. Question number one, what does it mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? Now, we're familiar with the word seal, probably, in its different uses in our language and culture today. I read a headline yesterday about uh, a certain basketball player who sealed the win for his team with a big shot at the end of the game. Um, also, this week I broke the seal on a bottle of Tylenol to try to get a little relief from whatever 
got me. So the, the idea of sealing something, we kind of understand. Uh, and it was a familiar concept in the ancient world as well, though probably had very little to do with three-pointers at that point. A king might put a seal, his seal, on a letter before he send, sends it out. So he would have this ring that was unique to him, and he'd write a letter, put this glob of hot wax on the, on the letter, on the page, and then he'd press his ring down into it that would show that this letter came from the king. It would authenticate that this letter came from the king, carries his authority, sort of like a signature might do, uh, the way we think about it, carries the king's authority. Um, the seal could also function like licking an envelope, right? Um, or the seal on a bottle of Tylenol. It secures the contents of that letter until it arrives at its intended destination. So there are other ways that a seal might be used, but it usually has something to do with indicating ownership or authenticity or authority or protection. So when Paul says, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, he's saying that God has put his identifying mark on you to make it known that you belong to him. He's authenticating you as his child. You've been adopted through faith in Christ to be a child of God, and God the Father has therefore put his seal on you to make it clear that you are in fact his. Now here's what's cool. When earthly parents adopt a child into their family, they give that child their name, their stuff, their inheritance. But they can't really give that adopted child their nature. In other words, that child still has biological parents who will forever determine certain things about that child's appearance, body, voice, personality, Things like that. Which is to say, the child's DNA doesn't change. But when God adopts children into his family, he's not limited. He puts his very nature inside his children. We aren't just sealed on the outside so people can like look at our foreheads and see that we belong to God. He puts his very nature inside. In us, we're sealed with his Holy Spirit who comes to dwell inside of us. He puts his nature in us so that we're transformed into his likeness from the inside out. That means the longer we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the more we resemble God. How glorious is that? So being sealed with the Holy Spirit is how God puts his mark, not on us, but in us, to declare that we're his. And if we're his, then we can be sure that we have his attention, his affection, his concern, his protection, his authority, and we can be certain that we will arrive at our intended destination eventually. That's what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. So you can begin to see how this answers, this begins to answer this big question that we've put in front of us, which is really a question of assurance, isn't it? Can I know that I'm really a child of God 
that I'm really redeemed and part of his family, or do I simply have to just take it by blind faith? The fact that God gives us his Holy Spirit when we hear and believe, like verse 13 says, means that there is a this side of the grave reality that we're supposed to know and experience. If you read the Bible, it's hard to argue that being sealed with the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with actual real-time experience. That doesn't mean that tongues of fire show up on everyone's head like they did in Acts 2 or something like that. That wasn't even Paul's experience. But when the Holy Spirit shows up in a person's life, things start to change. And when things start to change, we're invited into a process of growing assurance that we are, in fact, children of God. The sealing work of the Holy Spirit is meant to assure us that we are his. Not to mention make it evident to others that we are as well. I want to talk a little bit more about the experience of the Holy Spirit showing up in someone's life, but I want to get there by asking a second question. So if the first question is, what does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? The second question we're asking is, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance? Now, your Bible might have a footnote like mine that that says that the word that the ESV translates as guarantee could also be translated as down payment. I actually think down payment is a more helpful translation to get at what Paul's trying to get at. And so I'm going to use that. Uh, We understand a down payment. If you've ever bought a house or a car or something that you don't have all the money for up front, then you've been asked to to make a down payment. You've been asked uh, that the house costs this much money, I don't have all of it now, but I'll give you that much money as a down payment, guaranteeing that the rest of the money is on the way. It's a partial payment that guarantees that the full payment will come later. Now, Paul has just been talking about our inheritance, like in verse 11 and 12. That's, of course, connected to our adoption that he talks about in verse 5. These things go together. And now, he says, now the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the inheritance I was just talking about. Until you get the whole thing. So let's think about that for a minute. I don't know about you, but this whole idea of an inheritance from God is kind of hard for me to get my mind around. Anyone else? Not only like the, how's this possible, kind of, but, but like the, but what does this even mean? What does it even mean to inherit the kingdom of God alongside Jesus? I'm not sure we have very good categories for that. Now, I think those things are beyond what any eye has seen or ear has heard or heart has imagined. But I think this verse maybe tells us the most important thing that we can possibly begin to understand about the inheritance that God has promised us. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until we get the whole thing. I just said that a down payment is a partial payment that guarantees the full sum will come later. But it's always of the same thing that's coming. A down payment is always 
A partial payment of the same thing that's coming more of. Right? So, in other words, if the full payment is supposed to be paid in U.S. dollars, then the down payment is paid in U.S. dollars. The whole idea is there's more where that came from. But notice, God's not dealing in U.S. dollars, is he? When God wants to make a promise, he gives us himself. God is our down payment. Just think about that. The Holy Spirit is the early deposit that guarantees the rest of the inheritance is coming. So if the down payment is the Holy Spirit, what does that even mean? Well, I think it must mean that our current portion of the Holy Spirit, our current experience of having the Holy Spirit in us is merely a first fruits or like a little taster of what's coming later. Let's flesh that out a little bit. What kinds of things do Christians currently experience due to the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Let's start with illumination. What we might call, think of as like light and sight. Now, I have the privilege right now of mentoring a guy who's living at Wayside Cross named Jamie. Jamie's a wonderful guy, and on February 18th this year, Jamie was made alive in Christ for the first time through the hearing and believing of the gospel. And I get to sit with Jamie each week and spend time opening God's word and watching the Lord work in his life. It's a great privilege of my life. And this week I asked him, with this verse in mind, I asked him to describe to me his experience of the Holy Spirit in these first two or three months of his life in Christ. I asked him this question, and he sat there across from me for a second. He closed his eyes a little bit, and he looked at me and says, Eyes to see and ears to hear? He said, I never had that before. Jamie's talking about this illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Paul's about to say more of this in verse 17 coming up, which we'll look at uh, in the next few weeks. But let's just peek ahead real quick. If you still have your Bible open, just glance down to verse 17 real quick. Paul's making this, this prayer. He's talking about uh, his prayer for these Christians. And in verse 17, he's, prays, he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, so that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So Paul is talking about how the Holy Spirit shines, shows up and shines like light in our hearts. He'll say that similarly in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, where he talks about the God who once said, let there be light, does the same thing and shines in our hearts and says, let light shine out of darkness and shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He shines in us so that we can see and understand things as they truly are in a way we could never see or understand before the Holy Spirit lit us up. 
If you are in Christ, you know this work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Things that were once foolish are now glorious to you. Things that were once hidden have now been revealed to you. But only in part, right? Not all the way yet, right? We only see, even now, we only see in part. Even now with this illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we see like in a mirror dimly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. See like in a mirror dimly. What does he go on to say next? Look, I think this will show up above my head. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see face to face. Now I only know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You hear that down payment language? The light and sight that we now experience through the Holy Spirit is just a little taste of what's to come. Can you imagine what that means? If you've rejoiced at all in the light and sight that you've received already in the Holy Spirit, imagine what it means when that full payment is received. Everlasting light Perfect sight, full knowledge, complete understanding. Can you imagine that? All we have right now is a down payment, but imagine when we have all of it. What does that even mean? Okay, let's do another one. What else do we experience because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How about sanctification? I'm throwing Bible words at us, but I'm trying to explain them as I go. So we talked about already God implanting his very nature inside of us through his Holy Spirit. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. We're being conformed to the image of Christ, Paul says in Romans 8, 29. We're being renewed after the image of our creator, Paul says in Colossians 3, 10. We call this the process of sanctification. We are growing into what God has already declared to be true of us. We are united to Christ. Now we're becoming like Christ. But sanctification is only in part too, isn't it? It's only in part. It's not full yet. Anybody feel that? We grow slowly, don't we? Painfully slowly. I don't know a single Christian who doesn't groan inwardly at the long, often heartbreaking struggle against the sin that still remains in us. It's just too slow. It's just too slow. It's why we need to be patient with each other. It's why we need to be forgiving towards one another. Don't we all wish that sanctification was a light switch, not a dimmer switch? You probably aren't daily aware of it. Most of us aren't. It's like I always tell my kids, I don't measure you on the wall every day because you're going to think you're done growing, right? Maybe every six months, maybe every year. You're probably not aware of it on a daily basis, but the Holy Spirit is in fact at work in everyone who belongs to Jesus, everyone who has faith in Christ, everyone who's united to Jesus by faith, like a vine and branches as Jesus said. Daily receiving the life 
giving and transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because of our union with Christ. And Paul wanted the Philippian church, in another letter, he wanted them to count on it. He said, he who began this good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Christ. Completion at the day of Christ. But count on it. It won't stop. It's happening. And it will be completed. The day is coming, Paul says, when the first deposit of sanctifying grace will be full grown in you. And you'll be a full grown Christian. No trace or stain of sin left. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest friends, wrote it like this in 1 John 3. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Brothers and sisters, praise God that we are children of God now. Right now, if you've put your faith in Christ, you bear his image in an ever-increasing way. Praise God. But praise his glorious grace that one day soon we will be perfect image bearers of God. We will be like him in a way that we are not yet, and it will be forever. Speaking of vine and branches, remember how Paul says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How about things like that being fully ripe in your life? Full-grown joy, anybody? Full-grown and eternal peace, any takers? Perfect love? How about that as a description of future you? Perfect holiness. Perfect likeness to Christ. Perfect family resemblance. Never another crooked thought. Never another careless word. Never another wasted moment in the swamps of idolatry. Can you imagine it? It's worth imagining. Come, Lord Jesus. I'd love to keep daydreaming with you about what it could possibly mean to receive the full portion of God himself as our inheritance. But here's the point. God intends for us to believe him when he tells us that a full inheritance is coming. And as a pledge of his trustworthiness, he's given us himself to live inside of us. I don't know if you noticed the word promised back in verse 13. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I wonder if that's Paul just giving a quick nod to the fact that God has already proven himself trustworthy in matters of the Holy Spirit. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit is something that had been promised for hundreds and hundreds of years back in the time of Joel and Ezekiel. This is a promise God made. And now that these promises have been fulfilled in their first fruits phases, Paul's nudging us and saying, you can, you can trust him for the rest. 
He's already proven faithful. Trustworthy now, trustworthy then, he's trustworthy now. So let me offer just a brief summary of what we've seen as we've asked these two questions. What does it mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance? Here's the summary. The seal is my assurance that I'm his. The down payment is my assurance that he is mine. And both of those forever. And both of those, by their very nature, are now realities. So if I could revisit the big question that we asked at the beginning, is the Christian life a life of blind faith with all the good stuff waiting for us on the other side of the grave? Or is there anything for us to know and experience now? The answer, I hope, is becoming abundantly clear. The only reason it even makes sense for Paul to talk like he does in verses 13 and 14 is because these are intended to be present proof of future promises. The presence and power of God, the Holy Spirit, inside of us is an experiential reality that is meant to assure us that everything else Paul said is true also. We have been chosen and adopted as children by the Father. We have been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We have been given a share in Christ's inheritance. And one day all these things will be fully realized. But until then, we've got the seal of God himself pressed down into us and the down payment of God himself deposited into us. These are things to be experienced now. Current, present proof of future promises. That leads me to one last question that I want, I want us to consider before we finish. It's a question of personal application. It's the question, what should we do about this? So what do we do about it? Well, let's start with the most important thing to understand. This passage is not about what you or I have done or can do. This passage is decidedly about what God has done for us in Christ. With that being said, God's glorious grace never leaves us with nothing to do in response. So, two directions I think this passage offers us by way of response to these glorious realities. Two directions. Number one, Paul wants us to live in the assurance that we are God's children. We're invited to live in the assurance that we are, in fact, children of God. Paul wants us to know this. More importantly than that, God wants us to live in the assurance that, we're, that we belong to his. What father wouldn't want that? We are sealed with the Holy Spirit for the express purpose of assuring us that we belong to God. Here's how Paul says this same thing in different words uh, in Romans 8. I think this will show up above my head. Paul says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. As the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God and an heir with Christ. So here's my encouragement to you. Pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Let him testify to your spirit that you're a child of God. Pay attention to even the most subtle moves of the Spirit of God inside of you. The changes that he has brought, the changes that he is bringing. The the tugs inside of you to turn away from something. The tugs inside of you to turn towards something. Pay attention to the movement, even the subtlest movements of the Holy Spirit inside you. Don't lose sight of the fact that you are not who you once were. Even as you might be painfully aware that you are not yet who you soon will be. We can grow in our assurance that we're God's children by paying attention to the Holy Spirit's witness inside of us. And I'll add to that, we can greatly help each other grow in the assurance that we're God's children by pointing out in one another the evidence of God's spirit that we see in each other. This is a family project. Sometimes it's easier to see the grace at work in somebody else's life than it is to see it in my own, right? That's why I need you to help me see it. We need each other so that we know this is real. Live in the assurance that you are a child of God. Help your brothers and sisters do the same. Now, before I move on from assurance, let me say a brief word to one group of people who might still be listening to me. The Bible makes it very clear not everyone is, in fact, a child of God. Not in the adopted and redeemed kind of way. Verse 13 told us very clearly how someone comes to receive this seal of the Holy Spirit. Did you see it? Hearing and believing. Hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believing in Jesus. That's how it all happens, at least from our vantage point. Remember, God's been doing things from before the foundation of the earth, but we're living here and now. And we hear and we believe And God puts his spirit in us. So if you're here and you lack assurance that you are in that kind of right relationship with God, my question to you is, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you believed the gospel, the good news, that Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world to save sinners? That he lived the perfect life that you haven't lived. That he died on a cross in order to redeem and forgive everyone who believes in him. And that in him, you can have true and never-ending life and fullness of joy forever. Have you believed that? Have you believed and turned from living your way to take hold of and follow Jesus in his way? Here's the best thing I could ever say to you. You can do that today. 
you can be sealed with the Holy Spirit as a down payment of things to come today. In just a few minutes, before we end the service, there's going to be people that stand in the back of the room and they're just there because they're available to pray for people. If you are wondering if you have put your faith in Christ or you want to know more about that, I promise you those people standing back there would love to talk to you about what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus. They would love to pray with you. And I'd invite you to do that. Go talk to somebody. Go pray with somebody. You too can walk out of here today with the assurance that you are his and that he is yours. So there's the first thing that we should do in response to this passage. Let's live in the assurance that we are God's children. And here's the second thing. Let's live like it. Let's live like we're God's children. What Paul will call elsewhere, living in a manner worthy of the gospel. We'll see when we get to chapter 4, when Paul's talking more specifically about how the gospel should direct our our actual day-to-day living, he loops back to the passage that we're looking at today and he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't resist the Holy Spirit's work in your life by resorting back to your old ways of living. Don't treat your adoption as something that only has future implications and not present ones. Live like someone who's carrying within you a down payment of the Holy Spirit on your way to pick up the rest. This changes everything. It ought to. What in your life right now is not befitting a child of God? What might the Holy Spirit be pointing out in your life even today that you need to confess and forsake? This is just a normal part of the Christian life. But don't ignore it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by ignoring him when he's trying to free you. Don't ignore, don't grieve the Holy Spirit when he is actively at work renewing you into the image of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are God's children now. Let's live like it more and more each day. And let's help each other with this as well. Well, here's one of the ways that we get to participate in the family of God together week after week by sharing a family meal. Uh, If you're serving the Lord's Supper, would you please come forward? So in Christ, we've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, given an inheritance, and none of this happens if Jesus doesn't lay down his life for us. None of this happens if Jesus doesn't bleed out on a cross and then get put in a tomb and then raise again on the third day. We aren't family apart from that. We aren't children of God apart from that. Something had to be done and something has been done. And so we get to gather every week and come to the bread and the cup and we get to remember and we get to declare that Jesus' death is my death, Jesus' life is my life, Jesus' family is my family. And we get to do that together each week. 
Now, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, you're not living by faith in Jesus, I invite you, in just a minute, everyone else is going to get up and start walking up here. You can stay in your seat, and that's not to shame you or make you feel uncomfortable. No one here is going to be judging you because we've all been you. No one here thinks they're better than you. We've just all come to the recognition that Jesus is our only hope. And so if you're not walking by faith in Jesus, we ask that you'd stay in your seat and maybe just spend a few minutes in prayer, consideration about these things. Maybe even ask God if that whole talking to you inside of you thing can happen, if he would reveal himself to you, if he would draw draw you to himself. That stuff happens. It's happened for all of us who will be walking forward in just a minute. But take take advantage of a few moments to maybe just engage sincerely with God while other people are coming to take uh, this little foretaste of a, a meal that's coming in full. Talk about a down payment. This is a this is a very pay-